Uh, we're going to turn to the scriptures this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be opening up to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke chapter 2. If you're here this morning and you're like, yeah, but I didn't bring my Bible, I encourage you, grab your smartphone. I know you have one. Um, and either download the Bible app, which is a super easy way to do this, or what you can do is just go to Google and type in uh, Luke 2, and it will pop up right there. I encourage you to follow along with us because we're going to be in the text this morning. I think there's value into having the scriptures open as we dive in uh, together. Um, today is the second Sunday of Advent. Um, in the church calendar. The church has its own calendar. I know that's surprising to some of us. And we're continuing our series. We're calling it um, Christmas Nostalgia. Christmas Nostalgia. We just heard that um, on the screen as well. I mean, you know what we mean when we think of Christmas no uh, Nostalgia. All the good old-fashioned classics of Christmas, the stuff from our childhoods, all the songs, all the traditions, all the lights, the decorations, the gifts, all of that stuff. Um, all the claymation Christmas movies, right? You know what I'm talking about. All the fireplaces and the presents under the tree, like all that stuff. You know, one of my favorite or uh, maybe most nostalgic Christmas memories as a kid was my grandparents, they owned a cabin way north in Michigan, like in the middle of nowhere. And during Christmas time, we would go up to that cabin. And I remember there's this old leather chair where it's so old, like all the leather is kind of faded and cracking, and it's just a really ugly chair. I love that chair. I wish I could find that chair because I'd bring it to our house. My wife would love the chair too, I think. But I would sit in that chair, and we had this tiny little black and white television, and my, my grandma would put in the old VHS, pop that thing in, and it was the claymation Christmas um, Santa Claus is Coming to, to Town movie. Anyone? Anyone like that movie? I watched it every single year in that place, and I loved it so much. Now, speaking of Christmas movies, like every single movie, including the Hallmark Christmas movies, I'll add that to the list as well, um, often in Christmas movies, um, they create this divide in Christmas movies. Like every single one of them has this. There's the divide between, like they use words like the Christmas spirit and uh, Christmas happiness and the Christmas world and all of that stuff. And then there's the real world. And there's this divide between these two different worlds. Like every Christmas movie does this. And in, in every Christmas movie, there's this character that represents the uh, dingy, gritty, grumpy real world, right? You know this character. Some of you are like, I think I am that character in real life. It's crazy. Um, and then there's the other character in the, in the movie um, that represents the positive, the upbeat, the happy, the colorful, the magical, the spirit of Christmas people. You know what I'm talking about, right? Every Christmas movie has this. One of my favorites is the movie, we'll see if you guys like this movie, the movie Elf. Any fans of Elf by raise of hands? It is my all-time favorite Christmas movie, and here's the news today. It is 17 years old already. Yeah, that hurts your soul a bit, doesn't it? It hurts mine as well. It's 17 years old. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, see the movie, because it's a great movie. But if you haven't seen it, um, the story is of a man, his name is Buddy, who was raised by Christmas elves in the North Pole. It's a, it's a really awesome movie. And he heads out on a journey in the film to find his real dad in New York City, the Big Apple. And throughout the story, the film sets up this great contrast between the Christmas world and then the real world. If you've seen the film, um, Buddy the Elf, he's on the screen there for you. Buddy the Elf is like the perfect representation of the Christmas world, right? He dresses 
like an elf, which is weird. Um, he's friends with mythical creatures and talking animals like we all wish we were. And if you are, come talk to me. Um, and there's snowmen, and there's elves, and there's my favorite character ever, Mr. Narwhal. Ah. Oh. Bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. You know that line? I love it. Can't, it, it. Buddy works in a toy shop with elves. And everyone works in this factory like a million hours a day. And they love every second of their work. It is Christmas world, right? Um, Buddy is overly optimistic and joyful and happy and simple. He always has a smile plastered on his face. He can do impossible things that normal people couldn't do. He can build a horse rocking chair in the middle of the night with no tools, only using the old TV stands. Like you've seen this in the film probably. He can make snowballs with lightning speed and throw them unbelievably far, right? And he can eat whatever he wants to, but he can. In his diet, no consequences at all. Let me see if, how many of you know this. Um, his diet is, let's see if you can follow along, candy, candy canes, candy corns, and love it, love it, love it, and syrup. That's right. And he doesn't even need an insulin pump. It's amazing, isn't it? It's unbelievable. I love it. And then in the film, there's Buddy's dad. And Buddy's dad's name is Walter. And he's the opposite of Buddy. Um, Walter is like the perfect picture of the real world. He's a businessman. He's focused on making money and trying to survive in life. He maybe isn't a happy guy, but he's a pragmatic guy. He gets it done at the end of the day. You know what I'm talking about. Um, Walter knows he works at this, uh, this book publisher for children's books, and he knows it's not about the books. It's not about the children. It's about the bottom line. It's about making money, right? He's a realist. And Walter lives in New York City, and the city's filled with chewed-up bubblegum that Buddy eats in the film. I love that. And bad coffee, and gritty streets, and thousands and thousands of other people that are just like Walter. They're all realists. They're all trying to make a buck. Now, why am I talking about Elf this morning? I start with that comparison between Christmas world and then real world, because in our scripture reading this morning, if you pay attention, you look closely, you can find that very similar dichotomy in the story this morning. Um, there's this Christmas world sort of thing. There's extraordinary things that happen, unbelievable things happen. Joy happens in this story. And then there's this real world going on all at the same time. So we're going to turn to our scripture reading here this morning. Our scripture reading is found, like I said earlier, Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and crack that open a second. Luke chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 8 this morning. And if you have your Bible, I encourage you to follow along. And as we read Luke 2, see if you can identify the dichotomy. There's Christmas worlds, magical. And then there's the real world, right? See if you can spot it in the story. Our scripture reader this morning is none other than the Marvin Barnes. I'll invite Marvin on up. He's going to read for us. In church, what we do here when we read Scripture is just what you did. We stand for the reading of God's Word. And we do so because we honor this book. This book, we believe, is the truth. Like, this is the truth in our lives. And so we want to respect it that way. So, Marvin, go ahead with Luke 2, starting in verse 8, when you're ready. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, 
Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning of what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things which they had heard and seen, which are just as they had been told. Thanks, Marvin. You all may take a seat. So we would say, like, this is one of those nostalgic Christmas passages for us, right? Every year, many of us read through this passage. We remember it. It's familiar. Um, In fact, in the Charlie Brown Christmas movie, Linus literally reads the whole passage aloud, if you remember that, from from, uh, the cartoon. Uh, But there's more going on in this passage with shepherds and angels and all that stuff than nostalgia. There's more that's going on than just remembering a couple things and, oh yeah, that was, that's neat, that's cool. It's more than that, actually, in this passage. And I want you to see that uh, this morning. And to do so, I want to talk about shepherds, about shepherds. And I am going to grab a friend here that's going to help us. He's trying to run away. I got him. This is Sheepy. He is a liter- he looks exactly like a real sheep to me. That's what they look like, I think. And Sheepy, is, he's kind of like his head's really heavy, so when I set him down, he often does this. So I'm going to, we got it. Sheepy's there. We're good. In my opinion, um, there probably aren't many more salt-of-the-earth types of people than what a shepherd would be um, in the time that this story was written down a couple thousand years ago. I mean, think about what life was like for a shepherd in the time of Jesus. Um, A shepherd would have a flock of very realistic-looking sheepies, right? He'd have a flock of sheepies. He would have goats. And, uh, you know, sometimes they would have both. And a shepherd could have a huge flock of these. A shepherd could have a small flock of these. And the day-in and day-out job of a shepherd was to care for his flock. Like that was what his goal was, to care for his flock. He would guide the flock to new food sources and guide the flock to water sources. He would, if a sheep run away, got away, he would go and he would find that sheep, bring it back into the fold, back into the flock Um, A shepherd's job was to keep the flock together, to keep the flock thriving, right? Um, A shepherd would protect his sheepies here, right? 
That's, you know, in the story of David and Goliath, you've got the story, and, and David has his sling, and he's spinning his sling, and he throws a rock, if you remember this, and it hits Goliath, and Goliath kind of passes out, and then Goliath has a really bad day, right? If you remember that story. That sling was something that shepherds 2,000 years ago would use. They would use it to fend off predators, to protect their flock, to protect their flock from predators, from things that wanted to harm the flock. They would also use that thing. They would take a stone and put it in the sling and they would throw it and they would hit rocks far away to guide the sheep, scare them into going the direction that the shepherd wanted them to go. And shepherds in Jesus' day um, used sheep and goats for all kinds of things. The culture was driven on this culture right here. Um, ram's horns were used for all sorts of things. Um, milk would be used to make um, kind of like a cheese substance that was kind of a nutritious thing back then. Um, they would shear the sheep for wool, right? And that was an arduous process for them. Um, they would have to take their little sheepy here, which was, uh, I think they're a little bit bigger than this in real life, just so you know. They would take their sheepies, and then they would have to give them a bath and make their coat look nice and clean and white and beautiful. And then they would take the shears and they would have to cut all of it off. And it was a long, hard, labor-intensive process. And then sheep and goats would be used um, for feasts and temple sacrifices I mean, for important moments. A lot of people 2,000 years ago didn't eat a lot of meat like we do today, like Thankfully, we've evolved, right? Like, thank goodness, we could eat. But they didn't get to do that. They reserved these things for really important special meals and temple sacrifices and things like that. And so they were responsible for a lot in that day. In fact, in most families with flocks in Jesus' day, the shepherd of the family would have been the youngest boy in the family. So like a kid is responsible for all of these sheep running around. It was his responsibility to make them stay alive the best that the young boy could do. Do you want to hear more about sheep and shepherds? I'm going to keep going. Okay. Um, and a shepherd, um, shepherds, what, what I would call them, is they would be pragmatic people for their day. Um, shepherds, they would use their hands to get work done. Like they were people, hands in the dirt type people. Their work was simple. It wasn't really difficult to process in their mind, but it was hard work. It was long work. If you think about it, shepherds are, were probably not out in the fields like hanging out with their sheep thinking about the deep existential thoughts of the universe. Like that's not what they're doing. They're thinking about making these things stay alive. Like that was the point for a shepherd. And a shepherd, they'd wake up in the morning. They'd get ready in the morning. They'd maybe eat a quick breakfast in the morning, all that stuff. And the shepherd would head out to be with the sheep all day long, out with the flock. And at the end of the day, the shepherd would either sleep in the fields with the sheep and the goats, or the shepherd would take them back, pen up all the animals, and go and sleep for the night, wake up in the morning, and do the whole thing all over again, day after day after day. That's the life of a shepherd. You know, a shepherd in Jesus' day, um, and perhaps it's true in our lives as well, because there are shepherds today as well, they lived their lives for the task at hand. Like that was their goal, was these animals, and that's pretty much it. Now, shepherds, this is just me, I think shepherds are actually a great picture for our lives. Now you're thinking, you're like, dude, I work at a computer in an office. This is the opposite. Like, there's nothing similar, right? Maybe the details are different. 
But the priorities are not. They're very similar in our lives. Um, a shepherd does his shepherding to do what? Well, to maintain his life, to keep food on the table, to keep a roof over his head and family's head, right? That's his primary motivation in life. Are we all that different? Probably not, really. Our lives, too, like shepherds, well, they're largely pragmatic, too, right? It's about getting stuff done. We spend most of our lives trying to keep food on the table and a roof over our heads and everyone happy, right? Like, that's what we spend our lives doing, to just make it through life. We wake up. We get ready for the day. Um, we do the things that we're responsible for. We do our work. We do our business. We take care of our kids. We tend to our marriages. We tend to our homes. We do all the things to make it through life. For most of us, the vast majority of our lives is that pragmatic life, that hands-in-the-dirt life, the details, getting life done. You know, we use a different word. We would say, no, that's real life. Like, that's what we are. We live a real life. We do the things that real people do. We get things done. We survive. We, we hopefully thrive in our lives. Now, in our scripture reading, we have the shepherds out in the fields with their sheepies and goats, most likely. You know, doing what shepherds do, right? Like, that's what they do. Living their real lives, their pragmatic lives. And then something happens in the story with the shepherds out with their sheepies in the fields. I mean, if you have your Bible, I encourage you to open up to Luke chapter 2 again. And then take a look in verse 8 and 9 a second. I want you to see a couple things that, that happen here. Let me just read verse 8 again for us a second. Listen to this. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. This is, by the way, the definition of a pragmatic person, right? They're literally living in the fields with their work, doing their work day and night, day and night, day and night, tending to their flocks. This is what shepherds do. This is what we expect shepherds to do. This is what shepherds plan to do tomorrow and the next day until they have kids and they can pass the duty on or they just, you know, their life is over, whatever it may be. This is the life of a shepherd. Verse 8 again. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, the scriptures say. Suddenly, something unexpected, unplanned happens to these shepherds. The shepherd's rhythm and expectation for their lives, the way that they expect to live their lives day in and day out, something suddenly changes in their lives. Take a look at verse 9 again. An angel of the Lord appeared to them. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. An angel shows up on the scene, interrupts the regularity of their lives, right? The rhythm of their lives for the shepherds. And the glory of the Lord, the text says, is shining around this angel that shows up on the scene. And these real-life people, these shepherds, these pragmatic people, the reactions... They tell us everything about, you know, what they would expect in a moment like that. At the end of verse 9, look at the, the shepherd's response, the reaction. It says, and they were terrified. Terrified. 
Why would they be terrified? Of course they're terrified, don't you see? Because every shepherd knows that angels of the Lord don't show up and appear in real life. That's why they were terrified. That stuff, angel of the Lord stuff, that may happen to other people in the world, maybe kings or rulers or high religious officials. Maybe, maybe it happens to them. And, and they read about it in their stories in the book, right? They read about these things. I mean, it happens in the book. It happens in the scriptures. But one thing shepherds know is that angels don't show up in their lives. That's not real for them. And so their response is actually, well, it makes sense. And they were terrified, shocked, scared, all the emotions that someone might feel in that situation. I imagine what the shepherds felt was um, what our staff um, at the church often feels. There's a couple of people on staff that go out of their way to hide behind a corner and then to suddenly jump out as fast and loudly as they can when a person has a cup of coffee in their hands and then scare them. Like, we do that all the time. It's really fun, actually. So don't come to the offices because you may be the next victim. I'm just letting you know now. Um, but that feeling of, and they were terrified, is often how many staff people at our church feel. I promise you. Ask them about it. The shepherds, the shepherds were terrified. And why were they terrified? Because angels don't show up in their lives. That's why they were terrified. Now, most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we'd probably have to say that we agree with that statement, wouldn't we? Like, we live in a pragmatic world, a real world. Things are pretty ordinary and expected in our world. The unbelievable and the shocking and all that doesn't happen in the real world in our lives. The only time something shocking or unbelievable happens in our lives is usually when bad news is dealt us, right? Like someone died, there's a death, there's a conflict. That's usually when something unbelievable and shocking happens in the real world. In the real world, we're trying to make money and fight off sicknesses and stay safe and try to thrive. Um, most of us, most people would probably agree that angels just don't pop up in real life. Like, that doesn't happen for us. It might happen in the world. It might happen with presidents and world leaders, right? Uh, we read about it in this book, right? We read about it in this book. It, it happens in this book. We read about that. But we all might say, well, but it, it doesn't happen to me. That's for sure. But then... The story of an angel happens, and an angel shows up, and the shepherds are terrified, right? Now, I want to talk about angels now for a second. We have this angel here. Let's talk about angels, because angels show up to the shepherd, and then three things happen that are a little different or odd or out of the ordinary in the passage. If you have your Bible, open back up uh, to Luke 2 and then take a look at verse 9 again a second. Take a look at verse 9. It says, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, 
And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. An angel shows up, and the glory of the Lord shone or shines around them. The glory of the Lord shines around them. Do you have any idea what that looks like? I, I've seen paintings. I, you know, I don't know what that exactly looks like. As a pragmatic, real-life person, we would look, that, look at that and say, I don't even know what that looks like or what that even means, because that stuff doesn't happen in the real world, right? It doesn't happen in the real world. No one that I'm aware of has the glory of the Lord shining on them today. Like, I'm looking. Maybe. I don't know. I don't see anything, though. So that's one. Then in verse 10, the angel starts to speak to the shepherds. If you have your Bible, take a look at verse 10. Now think about this. An angel of the Lord, this is your real life. You're a shepherd. Angels don't visit shepherds. Like that's a weird thing to have happen to you, right? And then an angel of the Lord suddenly pops up on the scene. The angel, boom, I'm here. What are you thinking in that moment? You're thinking, I'm in trouble, I think. Uh Uh-oh, what did I do to upset God? Like an angel's here, like... This is not going to be good for me, right? It's probably going to be bad news. But if you listen, verse 10, take a look at verse 10. This is what the angel says. The angel says, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for, for all the people, the angel says. Good news that causes great joy for all the people. This angel pops up just to bring in the good news. Not good news. I feel bad for him. But this angel pops up. He's like, hey, I'm actually not mad at you. I'm just here to bring the good news to you. No strings attached. I'm just gonna, I'm here to pop up to bring good news to you. That doesn't happen in the real world, folks. People don't just pop up in our lives and they're like, I just want to bring good news to you. If they do that, they're like, don't read the writing at the bottom of the page. But it's good news for you, right? I mean, we see great things happen on TV, like, wow, they, they did a home makeover of their house on TV. They're doing that because they make a lot of money doing that. Like, let's be honest about that. Good news always has strings attached to it. But the angel comes and says, no, 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 I'm just here to bring you good news. That doesn't happen in the real world, does it? And then if you have your Bible, take a look at verse 13. Because even verse 13, it gets even further away from what our real life looks like, right? Because out of nowhere, a whole group of angels appear along with the other angel, and they start singing like a barbershop quartet, like, woo! They're excited, and they start singing out of nowhere. Like, when that happens, we're concerned about those people, most of them, because that doesn't happen in real life. And then the song ends, and then boom, the angels are gone. They're gone. Again, that doesn't happen in real life, in the real world. If this were you in the field, when the angels disappeared, you might be reflecting on like, man, I think that steak was undercooked last night. Like, right? Like, that's where we would be. Like, something's wrong with me. Like, I don't know what it is, but something weird just happened. It's probably my fault. It's all too fantastic. It's too good. It's too joyful. It's too amazing, right? Like that stuff cannot be real. That's exactly what the shepherds must have been thinking. It has to be. When the angels showed up and all this stuff happened, that had to be what the angels were thinking. See, there's something else, though, about this passage, about the angels for the shepherds, maybe for us as well. 
You see, isn't there something in you that longs for that other world that doesn't happen in real life world to be true? You're like, man, wouldn't it be something if an angel of the Lord did just boom, like they did that in our world today? Like, wouldn't it be something if, if angels like appeared in the sky and they started singing praises, like wouldn't it be something if that was the kind of world that we actually lived in? You see, what the angel represents for us, I think, is, is it represents what our longed for life actually looks like. Wouldn't it be something if the world were really like that with angels? And so what do the shepherds do in the story? The angel disappears, and they take off to see if the angels, like if they were either, you know, imagining something, like, okay. They go to prove it out. They go. And they stumble into Mary and Joseph and a child in a manger. And they discover the most amazing thing the shepherds do, that the angels... That, that life, that other world, that, that we just long for to be true in our lives, that, that it's actually real, folks. That it's real. You know, there is so much more going on in our world than pragmatism, than doing our job, like just getting it done, doing the work, paying the bills, doing the things. There is more going on in your life than paying the bills and keeping food on the table and a roof over your head. There is more going on in your life than relational trauma and relational drama. Can I get an amen? Like there's more going on in our lives than that. There's more going on in our lives than those past regrets that we might have or those missed opportunities that we may uh, think about and dwell on. There is more going on in our lives than fear of the worst case scenario looming at all times in our lives. There is more going on in your life than the life that you're living and then at the end when you die like it's over, there's more going on in your life. Do you know why there's more going on? Because the story of the real world shepherds that live in our world, and when they met angels, and they walked over to prove it out, and, and they saw Jesus in a manger, it actually happened. See? It happened. It's real. The story of Jesus' birth is true, and it actually happened. All of it. It's not a myth. It's not just a nice story that we read about this time of year and, you know, we have the warm fuzzies when we read it and it's great. It's real, folks. See, Jesus' birth makes our longed for life, like, man, wouldn't it be something if this was all true? It makes our longed for life, it makes that our real life. Like, that's real, folks. Jesus' birth brings our real life, all of the pragmatism, all the stuff we've got to do, and then it shoves it up with all of this, what if life were really like this stuff? And it says it's all real. It brings it all together, all of it, it does. You know, thousands of years ago, there was a prophet. His name was Isaiah, 
And he reflected on the moment that Jesus would be born. And, and I love how he reflects on it. It's Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verse 2. It should be on the screen. Listen to how Isaiah reflects about it. He says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. And folks, that great light that Isaiah talks about, well, it's real. It actually happened. So I want to make a challenge for us uh, this Christmas season. I recognize we're already kind of into it. You know, the Christmas season, it's one of those short seasons. January comes, we pack it all up, and then boom, we're gone. We wait for Easter, right? Like, that's the next cool thing that happens, right, in our lives. What if only for the next couple of weeks, like, what if we fully lived into the season? It's real. It happened. What if we fully lived into that reality? I challenge you, go for it. Like, live into it. Do all the things you have to do to live into this reality that this is real. You know, if you notice, the church is kind of decorated to the nines. I think it looks awesome in here. I challenge you, uh, make your house look like that. Like, go for it. Put, it. put the work in. Celebrate. Enjoy. Enjoy the nostalgia. Put the lights on the house. My wife's listening. Put the lights on the house. Decorate the tree. Um, in the house, in your office, like decorate all of it. Folks, eat the desserts this Christmas season. Like actually eat them and don't feel bad. Just go ahead and eat the desserts. Your pastor's telling you you have permission. I'm just saying. Um, make a big feast and celebrate and enjoy and savor what this season is because this season is not just the warm and fuzzies. This season is, it's real. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the scriptures. Uh, we thank you that um, we don't just get one story of Jesus, but we get four different perspectives on that story. God, we thank you so much for that. God, we thank you that when we, when we read the story of Christ's birth and we move on and we look at Christ's ministry and we look at Christ's death on a cross, and we look at Christ's resurrection, God, we, we thank you and we, uh, we are just so filled with joy that that story, it's not just a story, God. We thank you that it's real, that it means something in our real existence, God. Thank you. God, in this season, help us. Help us to live into that reality. We pray for that. We pray all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Now let me leave you with a blessing this morning. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace, church. Amen?